Ladies and gentlemen, it is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. This is the Ghost Lights podcast. That song played us in is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. And yet, today is all about peace. Mm. It always is on the Ghost Lights podcast. Today's guest, Amanda Burke Wilson. What's up, Amanda Burke Wilson? Not much, Sam Gilstrap. It's so nice to see your face. It is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We're going to be doing this again tomorrow, but that's we're not talking about tomorrow. No, that's what I mean. We could if we wanted to, although mm, no, we can't. No. We're not going to talk about what we can talk about what we're doing, not without any specifics. Absolutely. Well, let's just say we're going to hang out and have some fun tomorrow with the Cats fam. Yes, we are. We're going to do a little little fun planning sesh. Very good. <laughs> I hope all my ghosties are doing well this evening. We are. Uh, we've got two podcasts coming at you, guaranteed this week, probably a third, so strap in for that. It's gonna be a busy week. Um, we are honored to have a woman I've tried to, I've talked about having on for a very long time, but she's often got her hands in like multiple pies, so she's busy, um, and um, it's it's just worked out that she's free right now. It just, it just happened, I just <laughs> happened to be free right now. Yeah, just, who, who knows why? It's just yeah. this. And you're also free. Yeah. And also the whole free world is free right now. <laughs> well, there's there's a deeper philosophical and socioeconomical question that we could dive in. Oh after. yes. I you know what? I'm so glad you brought that up. That was a totally privileged lady thing to say. Well the whole world is not free. This is true. And we at least acknowledge that. Yes, 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 yes. We acknowledge but, that we're fortunate at this particular moment to be sharing this technological advancement to yes. conversation over some Japanese whiskey. Yes, we're both drinking Japanese whiskey. I love that. I love that coincidence. We, uh, the Ghost Lights podcast has got a, a very, very decent bar. So he's happy Do to be you. I'll have to, when, when all of this is, is done, you'll have to invite me over to sample it. Oh man, we'll have a cat and mouse party once I get like a legit bar. We'll, we'll try our scotches and our bourbons. I'm a man who's fallen in love with Colorado bourbons of late, but uh, yes, in Peach Street. Have you? I, did you yeah. like it? I recommended it. Did you? Was I it? love it, and it's one of those ones that like I see every day because it's at the front of my bar, and I'm like, I can't touch that. Mm -mm. I want to say that because it is really good. I mean, I've also, I mean, there's other good stuff out there, but yeah, I would much rather have Fireside before I had Peach Street. Yes, it's well, because it's it's pricey. It's a it's a fancy it's a fancy one. It's for yeah. fancy occasions, yes. I am, I am, if nothing but a dandy. <laughs> you are kind of a dandy. I've I, seen your shoes. You've seen my shoes, my scarves. This whole COVID, like, lock myself down. I'm not dressing up as much. Like, I'm in sweatpants, like, all the time. You know, it's funny that you should say that because I am the opposite. I mean, I'm not, I'm not dressing up. I mean, I'm wearing overalls right now. But I am, I'm waking up in the morning. And I am doing my hair and I'm putting on makeup and earrings because I just am like, do not go gently into that good night. Like, don't just wear sweatpants and have your hair in a dirty bun because, you know, it's those little rituals that you're like, like, this is still, this is not normal. We are not in normal times, but a little like that is like a little bit of saving grace for me every day. Absolutely. No, I'm with you 100% on that. So you could tomorrow, you could get up and you could put on not sweatpants if you wanted. If you well, wanted. I might. 
I mean, I've got I've got an occasion later on in the evening, so I might I might be dressing up for that for sure. I love it. But yeah, I mean, fashion, uh, as my ghosties know, is the goddamn motherfucker. So like, yes, you you look good, you play good, is what I say, and I'll say that to the day I die. And during this time, you gotta do you gotta you gotta take those little things for yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If it's if it's if it's your ritual, fuck yeah, no judgment. Yeah. You. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm like real pro that. I mean, I don't think if you're, if you're somebody who that doesn't make you feel better, then don't do it. If sweatpants make you feel better, wear your sweatpants. For me, it's like, I'm still, I'm still me. I'm still making an effort. <laughs> it's the Texas in me. Well, everything is big. And so is like the mindset. Like I don't, I have not come across a coward from Texas yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good way of putting it. There's some folks from Texas who have some questionable views, but questionable. <laughs> they might not they're definitely not cowards and just like showing that off. No, 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 no. Anyway, um, I will say Rubik's Cube for myself before I get too deep into that. <laughs> um Amanda? Yes. Theater. How did it happen for you? Oh gosh, um, how did theater happen for me? Um, you know, I am one of those theater people who I don't really remember n- not being a theater person. Um, uh, as I've already implied, I grew up in Texas, in Houston, Texas, and um, my next door neighbors had uh, one of those circular driveways. Do you know what those are? Like where you can it's not just a like drive in and drive out. It's like a drive and then you can a drive through. Yeah. There's like a whole circular driveway where you can come yeah. in one side and go out the other. And, um, I, uh, I was a child in the late seventies, early eighties and, uh, roller skating was really big. Xanadu was really big. Have you ever seen that? Oh, I, I'm familiar with Xanadu. Yes. You're familiar. So, I I basically used to choreograph roller skating shows in my next door neighbor's circular driveway. And like when I was like five years old and go and like knock on all the neighbor's doors and say, it's, it's time for the show. Please come to the show. And they would say, oh, well, come when we're ready. And I, would, I, will, I will wait for you. <laughs> I will wait for you to come to the show. So uh, I don't think they were particularly good shows, probably. It was a, I was five. I was sort of finding my voice, if you will. Yeah. The, that courage uh, is there early on, though. It's just displayed. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, um, my mother was a dancer. She was actually uh, one of the first uh, dancers in the early version of Houston Ballet. Uh, she danced with Debbie Allen. She danced with Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Um, and actually trained, uh, Patrick Swayze's mother was a ballet instructor and um, she trained at his mother's studio. Um, and so she got me into ballet early. And so I danced um, all through elementary school and into middle school. Uh, I played piano. I, and then, Right around um, 
you know, we did plays in my elementary school, like Bambi and Cinderella. Mm-hmm. But I think I really started to kind of get serious about it in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was cast in, I was the lead in The Boyfriend, which is a just the worst dated musical <laughs> that you can possibly imagine. Um, <laughs> and then I just was kind of like, oh, I really like, I like this, I'm good at it. I like the people, these feel like my people. Um, And so really from there, I just did plays all through, uh, all through middle school, all through high school. And and really by the time I got to college, I was just like, yep, I'm a, this is what I'm doing with my life. And then really have, really, did a professional internship at a theater in Memphis, Tennessee, of all of the random places. Um, basically because my parents said, you can be an actor, but we're not going to pay for it. Like, mm-hmm. we're not spending more money. To, they sent me to a lovely private college, and then they were like, that's it. No more, no more support for you. Um, which I actually think was a great thing. I think it was a great thing. Um, don't you think? I mean, I think some part of part of this business is just like figuring out how you're going to make it work. Absolutely, but then yeah. much of, I mean, I think I, I mean I can't speak for everybody. Obviously, for me, like my mom was a musician when she was in college, and she really wanted to meet, to find some type of artistical, artistical, artistic out. <laughs> um, they love artistical. Um, <laughs> artistic outlet. So it, she, she, you know, shoved a guitar in my hands. She wanted me to be a singer, and I never like. I don't play guitar unless it's air guitar, and I, <laughs> unless I'm at a karaoke bar or in my car by myself, um, or at school when I'm trying to show off. But that's right. about it. and where it was for me it was theater, and and to have a, a group of parents be like. Hey, by all means, we believe in you. Go ahead and do it. But it's up to you now. Yeah. That type of impetus, I think, is great for an artist. That your shoot is opened. Like, you better learn how to land this thing. Yeah. And, and it can take as long as it needs to, but. Totally. And, you know, I mean, sometimes I, I think, like, uh, if I had to do it over, because I never went to grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I don't regret that as much as I do wish I had that training, just that kind of, re, because I didn't go to conservatory. I went to um, a liberal arts school where our whole, my whole background in theater was very academic based, you know, a lot of reading and papers. And we had some, you know, get up on your feet, do scene work, have that scene work. Um, critiqued by professors, but but I didn't like. I never I never got any Alexander technique. You know, I never got any of that kind of stuff. And 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 I feel fortunate because I I continued to dance through high school and college, and um and continue to sing. And I think on some level my my dance training and my music training kind of set me up for continuing to be in my body, continuing to have like a music sense of, of how scripts work and um, and then obviously you know now at this point in my life like all the 
is sort of the way that I integrate multidisciplinary techniques into to my theater work. But I, th there was something about my folks saying, you know, you need to go out and figure out how to do this. That's why I went to Memphis because they had a, I mean, I think I made like a hundred bucks a week. Um, but I had housing, they had a house, like a intern housing. Um, and they had some very, very like bare bones. You can go to the clinic if you're sick. So I could live off of it sort of. And I right out of college, I did six professional roles, um, which was sort of like in, on, on some level kind of a, grad school by fire <laughs> you know just like you are this is no longer like you got to step into this professional show you got to have some technique you got to be able to keep up because you're going to be on stage in four weeks you know yeah. for packed paid audiences so yeah so that's kind of that's how how was it how did you phrase it how theater why theater how, how did it happen to you? How did it happen? So it just, you know, I, I would say that it, it, that theater for me has been like, I wasn't a particularly good ballerina cause I just didn't have the natural instrument. Um, and I've always been musical, but I never had that. Like my husband's a musician and he can kind of just pick up an instrument and like listen to a piece of music and then play it. Wow. Um, I think it's a language. I think it's like a way that, that certain people's brains work and mm -hmm. I can read music and I can understand music, but I never, I was never that kind of a musician. So theater's also just been a really good way for me to storytell, like using those techniques, but not having to be kind of virtuosic in the ways that you have to be virtuosic in those very technical um, art forms, which is not to say that theater is not technical because it is, but it also has, for me at least, my experience with it is that it has, you know, more room for you to bring what your unique thing is. Like you don't have to have a specific body to be an actor, to be a theater artist. Yeah. You don't have to have like a math brain that can understand, you know, the way that music relates it to itself and theoretically you you're there's a there's a wider spectrum of kind of types of people that I think can be really successful theater artists and and so that's where I was like I I'm, I, I'm definitely creative I definitely love to storytell and perform I definitely don't have the technical prowess to be in those art forms so what about what about these this little strange thing over here yeah you're you're not you're definitely not wrong. One of the things I tell my kids at, at my school is that I got out of I graduated college as fast as I could and got into theater. So the only math I had to do was addition, count money, <laughs> walk out, count and also subtract money because there's a yeah, lot of yeah. happening. But yeah. you try and you try and be sexy for the kids so they don't laugh at you. Too, right, right, right. Which doesn't stop them anyway. But yeah, I think you're it's. I agree with you on a lot of aspects of that. I, I think there's, there are, from the individual perspective, if you're a musician, there are specific, like I'm, I'm miming a guitar right now because that's my layman brain. But I mean, even like the violin and 
um, the cello, which these are all string instruments, Sam. Let's dig deeper, the harp. Like these things that require a second, or not a second, but like an additional source of brain power mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. a, a piece of music or a, a, a specific understanding of choreography and how the body responds in specific moments to specific pieces of choreography. Like, I mean, I every time I see ballerinas on their toes the way they are, I am like, there's there's no way. I could I could lose all the weight I need to lose. I could get into the to the to the dance shoes and I would not be able to make that work. Not in a million years. All the power to them. There's something extra that they have. And Although, I think it's funny though, because like, you know, yes, and um when so I lived in Chicago for a decade and um actually worked in an interdisciplinary company so it was a company that was made up of dancers and actors and um, musicians and and i will tell you that as technical as as dancers are when they're dancing you know they would often open their mouth to speak text because we created shows that were like dance and theater and music and I mean, you, like, it's amazing. These freaking amazing technical dancers open their mouth to try to speak text. And it is, you know, nine times out of 10, mm -hmm. they don't know how to do it, you know? Yeah. So, so there is a technique to acting. I mean, of course there is. Like, mm -hmm. there's, there's many techniques to acting. But, but there's also, there is also for actors, in the same way that a dancer has a physical instrument that sort of lends itself to that art form, I do think that there are there are hard skills that actors have, just like, like an ability to use the voice, an ability to project, an ability to infuse text with um, nuance and meaning and color that that is is as special as is physical technique with dance oh no absolutely i, I mean like i'm i'm an actor that i i find like when i started acting i had a very different view on what it was back right. then it was just like i just had to learn the lines learn my blocking get up right. and go and to some people in theater that is all it takes in a simplistic view right but there is this thing where to, no matter i it, no matter what form of theater you're doing musical straight play, absurdist, so on and so forth. There has to be a comfort within mm. that takes years of practice for some of us. Some of us are easier into that world than others. I mean, some people can just kind of show up authentically. It's never, there's never a thing they have to mm. switch and there's never something that they have to work at. Some of, some of there are actors who I can, I can, I can point them out in my opinion, who are like, got it. Right. Mm -hmm. and then like, like if I admitting for myself, like, like I said, I thought it was a, when I got into it mm. and then I realized, Oh, even at my best in that form of performance, I'm missing something. Mm. Like I'm not feeling anything. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. once I started doing the work to like figure out how I could get into that, like tap mm -hmm. into that, and then you realize how e how much bigger that whole world is. It's not just as easy as saying, oh, get comfortable with yourself, which I am trying to do for sake of a podcast. But it, it be, 
there's a lot of stuff that's got to get sifted through for some of us. Yes, yes, to, yes. To get to that place where you acknowledge and, and, and see readily who you are in the character you're playing and the moment that you're living in and the relationship that they've created with this other person, like, and even then I'm probably still not doing this moment, like this whole description justice, but like if, if you could see those things, what you put out on stage, whether it, it, for lack of a better phrase, slaps for the audience, mm. it resonates. The, the level of which it resonates will vary from person to person and it may ver it may resonate all the way to their they finish the drive home. It may resonate by the time they wake up the next day, and it may even go further than that. Hmm. You got to get to the place where whatever you did Friday night is something that you don't judge, and that whatever happened Saturday night, Sunday, Thursday, whenever we put this stuff on, if you're lucky enough to be at one of those spaces where it's Monday nights off only. Yeah, right. You don't get to that. You don't get to that judgment space, and but that's hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to kind of create and exist in that stuff, and that is a skill that takes that takes time. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's a skill, and it's an aptitude, right? And mm -hmm. it's a, and it's a talent. You know, I just think that. Yes. Yeah, in the same way that Ben can listen to a piece of music and then play it like our ability to just like pick up a script and immediately make choices and and infuse it with life and and character is mm -hmm. also both both an acquired skill a honed skill and and an aptitude and a just a, a natural you know sort of proclivity is the wrong word but ability i guess is the correct word yeah. yeah yeah and and i think i think if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast and you're thinking about like growth and how do i get into it or mm. how do i take what i'm doing right now to a different place i mean really understand that it's just i mean yeah there are people who are natural athletes and there are people who are naturally talented actors mm -hmm. and get up and just fucking go Mm -hmm. Bravo to those people, but that's not everybody. No. And it doesn't necessarily, and it does not mean, I won't even say necessarily, I'm not going to qualify. That does not mean that you don't belong. Absolutely. Or that it's not something that you can, that you can work on, yeah. you know? And in fact, you know, I think that there are certain actors who coast on their natural ability and then, and then become predictable. Yeah. You know, because they because they they are sort of like just allowing that sort of that thing that they just do without thinking, and then so then they don't think, and then it becomes yeah, it goes predictable. Absolutely. I think. I mean, we all have our bag of tricks. Like there's totally. there's there's none. Of, I mean, there's all these things that we have that we think are authentic in the moment because we've done it for so long. Right. But there is a way to get to those places without having to rely on thinking of my grandmother's last conversation with me over the phone to like okay. some type of emotion there. That's, mm -hmm. But to like provide some type of like sadness to a moment mm. or to think about um, the guy that you work with who you make eyes with all the time to feel butterflies in this moment. Mm -hmm. There are things you can do like that. That 
that's not to say that those things can't like infuse how you go into a specific beat, but like to totally. just like pull it out without connecting and doing all the other road work that, that takes place to being to performing a piece. Mm -hmm. like, it it'll work for some people. Might not work for everybody. And if you're okay with that, great. But how long how far does that carry you? Mm. I mean, like for me, like I again, I'm I'm I have been that actor that has had my three things that I do, and I have also been the actor that has been scared of specific things. And when I am scared, I know what my body does to like control the fear mm -hmm. as opposed to diving into it. So when I come across directors who challenge me and don't give me that out and who can like see that shit and call me out on that. Like, mm -hmm. That's, I, I mean, that's, that's the stuff that's great. And, and, and I will always greet it in the moment with hostility. <laughs> <laughs> oh. See, Gilstrom, I don't think that's true. I've never been in the room when you've been hostile. Well, I I, hostile, like I'll do, I'll do one of these. I'll do one of these. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Okay. Oh, is that what that means? Oh, that's yeah. what that means. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm now, I, now I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and I always end the uh-huh. Uh okay. 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 Uh -huh. Thank you. Well, that okay. is hilarious that you think that is hostile. Because I will tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't know if your, your listeners know this, but I, I'm, more, I'm more a director than an actor at this point. And I will tell you that that does not feel hostile. Mm. I have had some real, real, real hostile reception of notes before. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I, I, I screamed at an AD once. Did you really? Yeah. See, yeah. I don't believe it. I don't yeah. believe it. But I'll tell, I will tell the story because I, yeah. I, um, I was doing uh, Barefoot in the Park over at Firehouse. Mm -hmm. And um, we were getting direct. We, were, we had a we had a director and we had an AD. And the vast majority of the time, the director would give us notes after rehearsal. The AD was very good at like shooting out notes as we were performing a moment, as we were trying to find it. And so, like we're in the middle of Tech Week, and it's like it's a we're we're running the shows, and I'm trying to you know deliver. I'm Paul Bradder, so I'm like having this argument with my wife. And we're like, you know, it's the lines are clipping along. And then he quietly from the front row in the dark is like feeding me notes. And I, and like he's like side coaching you kind yeah, of. Yeah. Huh. In, in, the, in the moment of tech week. And so I, I just snapped yeah. in the moment. And I, and I just stopped and was like, I'm sorry. Will you keep it down till the moment is done? Mm. Like, he got up and he walked down the vom and he left. And he didn't talk to me for the rest of Tech Week. Whoa! And that's I. I do not. I do not condone that action from other actors. But sometimes you got to put somebody on blast to get to where you need to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a questionable technique. I think. No offense to whomever that. I'm sure it was well intended. But oh, yeah, absolutely. He had the best of intention. He wasn't trying to be like Paul Bratter, right? trying to feed me technique and, and, and I get it. And I get like on opening night, it was very, um, I, I don't think I can use the word humble. I don't think after what I did, I can use the word, but I, I went to him and like tried to talk to him and 
we made peace and he was supportive and I was appreciative and we buried quote unquote buried the hatchet. Yeah. Good, 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 good. All's well that yeah. ends well, right? Exactly. I mean, everybody's allowed an ugly moment or two, you know. Mm-hmm. As long as you as long as you don't make a habit of it. I mean, I think we all, you know, stress and tech is so can be so stressful. Oh, yeah. And you know, you bring your best self always and sometimes you just you slip up, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you had mentioned that you are now more of a director than you are yes. an act- actor. Yes. yes. Um, what what brought about that transition in your career arc? Yeah. That's that, a- or you're like, oh no, this is where I'm the most comfortable. Well, you know, it's really funny because when I was in college, um, I was primarily an actor. Um, but I took a directing class, um, from the woman to, I, whose name I can just like almost hardly say without crying, um, from this woman named Harleen Marley. And Harleen Marley was the most fucking amazing woman on the planet. And I had never really sort of met a woman like her. Um, she had this way of talking that was sort of like this, (laughs) And she was very, like, always incredibly well put together. Um, she was just sort of, like, oozed that sort of, like, old school theater grand dame. Yeah. And I just thought she was, you know, she, I don't know if you have this, but she was one of those professors. I just was like, oh, I, God, I just wanted her just to, I wanted to be her favorite student, you know. And, um and she cast me in my junior year in, um, in a play called Rumors, which actually, it's so funny because um, I played opposite a dear friend of mine who now is a, quite a well-known actor, uh, Josh Radner, who uh, is on, was on How I Met Your Mother. Did you ever see that television oh, show? Yeah, so he was the main guy. He was he was the eye. He was the eye in How I Bet Your Mother. Yeah, and he's like a, yeah, he's a, he's a dear college friend and we played um, I was Claire to his Lenny in, in rumors. Oh. Um, anyway, so that year, uh, I was in her directing class and I was also in, in this production and my, my parents came up for parents weekend you know, they always did a play on parents weekend mm-hmm. and they saw it and we were at some, you know, wine and cheese, box wine and cheese thing afterwards. And, um, mom, my mother like sort of sat down and talked with Harleen and uh, Harleen said to my mother, uh, you know, Amanda is a wonderful actor, but I really think what she is is a director. And I was pissed. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to be a director. I want to be an actor. I want to like be where the glory yeah. is, you know? And I was really like, it, it, it especially cut me so deep because I was like, oh my God, I want her to think I'm the best actor on the planet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what she saw in that, um, in that directing class that I was taking is that uh, I have a real strong sense of, of how to stage things mm-hmm. and how to put things up on stage. It's not an infallible sense, but I think it's a, you know, you talk about kind of that journey towards who you are as a theater artist. And I think for me, um, 
that's probably always who I've, I think I've always probably been a director who acts rather than an actor who directs. Mm -hmm. um, even when I was mainly still an actor, I just think that how I was looking at a play was more about the big picture than it was about my individual um, you know, role to play in it. So I'll just say that as I sort of became a professional actor, um, in my 20s, it was really actually how I made a living. I did, I was here for a bit and um, I was doing children's theater at the Arvada Center, like many people do today. And then I got an understudy role there. And, um, and then I moved to Chicago and I was teaching and acting. And, um, but I, I was in this company called uh, Striding Lion, which I, never liked the name of, but it was that interdisciplinary company that I started with um, my best friend from growing up, who is a, an incredible dancer, choreographer, um, and our husbands who are musicians and a whole bunch of kind of like dancer uh, and musician and theater people from mostly who had gone to Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were kind of looking to see what we were going to stage and, uh, I've always loved the play Cowboy Mouth by Sam Shepard. Do you know it? No. Oh, so good. Um, but it's about, it's, it's really, it was, it's sort of the, the lore of it is that Sam Smith, that, or it's not Sam Smith, uh, Sam Shepard wrote it when he was having an affair with Patti Smith. Yeah. And they wrote it over like a furious, he was, he was still married to his first wife. They had an affair um, and wrote this play together that was essentially about their relationship. But it's also about a rock star or sort of a wannabe rock star. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I, I, I was like, well, maybe I'll just direct this for Striding Lion because we had a, there was a way to integrate live music into it, a rock band into it. And I just loved it. I just loved it. And it, it made me feel like, um, I feel like I have such respect for actors. I also, when I am an actor, I don't like the feeling that I'm always asking somebody else's permission mm -hmm. to get up on stage or to make a piece of theater. So as a director, you it's a lot easier to self-produce. I guess you can self-produce as an actor as well, right? Yeah. But as a director, it's really easy to go, I'm going to do this script and I'm going to get some money together and I'm going to cast it and, and do a show. So I, I felt empowered by directing. I felt, and I just sort of felt in the pocket in a way that... That I, that I felt as an actor as well, but I just sort of feel like I came into my own. Um, and then really have done at this point, that was, that was right, sort of a, it, the, my sort of turn from my 20s into my 30s. And now I'm in my 40s and, and most, most of my work since then has been as a director. I do still act. I do still act. And, it, and I, I think it's a good thing when directors also act because it is such a reminder of how vulnerable you are as an actor. And I think directors can lose track of that. They just, mm -hmm. it, it, and there's something about the, the memory of, of how vulnerable I feel. Um, 
that that I think infuses how I deal with actors. I also love to be directed by directors who are awesome and then I steal their shit. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. no, that goes into my bag of tricks, you know? Um, and yeah, I just love it. I just, it's sort of, I feel like it's where... And I don't, you know, I thought when I made the transition to be a director, I thought I'd sort of, like, I just never sort of felt jealous of the actors. (laughs) I was like, I love that you're up there right now. It's so funny. I mean, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a really close friend who talks about like directing and how it's great to be a director because like you do all this, like the fun time. I mean, I think an actor would admit, some actors would admit that sometimes the best time being an actor is the rehearsal process trying all that stuff out and the director mm. can be there for that fun time and then like let go after opening mm-hmm. however miss amanda Berg wilson you got like this position with this theater company that kind of there all the time yes and so yes. what is that like i because you i don't and, and, th- and this is going to be one of those cat and mouse slurp sessions. We we talked about that pre-show, and but it's the truth. Like, real recognizes real. I don't see you half-step anything, but you've got the like a lot of people in this business. You there's a lot of work that you're doing. You've got help. You've got Mac, who's amazing, and you've got mm-hmm. Joni, who's amazing. You got all these people in your fold, Jason, guys, mm-hmm. women that like. Die- I in and help you and help mm-hmm. the catamounts, not just you. Mm-hmm. You're still doing a lot of work. How how do you keep the batteries charged? What is it? Mm. What are you What are you doing to keep that afloat? I mean, I could have asked the same question to Stephen, but I think I got a little tipsy last week. So. <laughs> My bad. No, you know that's a great. That's an awesome question. Um, I have a couple of things to say. Uh, a couple years ago, I got really lucky um, in it, it, it 2015, and I was mainly kind of doing catamount stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd moved to, I'd moved back to Colorado after living in Chicago for a decade. Started the catamounts, had a small child, had a husband in law school. Really, kind of only had time to do catamount stuff. Um, but 2015. Um, I was cast in Detroit at Curious Theater Company. And um, and it was kind of this like really interesting turning point for me because um, it was the first time in several years that I was working for somebody else, that I wasn't working for myself, and that I was acting and not directing. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm on vacation. Mm-hmm. Like it just was, and I mean, you know, like if if Curious ever hears this, like I was working hard. I was working my ass off, you know. But I I did I did not have to worry about where the audience was coming from. I didn't have to worry about the money. I didn't have to worry about like mopping the lobby. You know, I just like I showed up. I did my job. I got to work with a just killer group of people: Josh Hartwell and Karen Slack and Brian Lance Fulkins. Um, Chip John Walton directed for the last five minutes. What didn't John Ashton show up for like the last five? Oh, minutes? Yes, 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 he did. Oh, god, 
I feel terrible that yes, John Ashton also was in the last five minutes. Um, and um, and then from there, um, I got cast the next the next year in Sweet and Lucky at the Denver Center. Um, and then the next year, I directed Wild Party, and then I went up to Creed, and I did directed a show up there. So the beautiful thing is that. You know, I have my work at the Catamounts now, but I also have had the privilege of going and directing for these larger organizations that are a little bit better oil machines than, than the Catamounts um, is. Mainly they're just bigger budgeted, better staffed. So um, so one of the ways that I recharge my batteries is, is getting to go work for other organizations and then just having the absolute privilege of um, just getting to to just do the art, just be in charge of the art. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes, when I get to do that, it's just like a dream, you know? Um, but then the beautiful thing about the cast is, is that, you know, we're now starting to bring in outside directors like Julie Rada or Edith Weiss. Um, and then that's kind of this privilege because then I get to still make the show happen. Um, but I am not, it's not my vision. It's not me having to, to sort of worry about the art and about the production. And I actually really love being a producer and, and assisting other um, directors' visions come to fruition. Um, and then, you know, uh, this next project that I have coming up, Theater of the Mind, I, I'm I'm assistant directing. I'm just in support of. You. Uh, yeah, no, that I can I can I am I can't I am assistant directing. That is public knowledge. Okay. Um, so uh, anyway, so I would say one of the ways that I recharge my battery is just by by having the opportunity to go work elsewhere. Mm. And and I'm lucky that the catamounts are small enough that we, for the most part, can kind of manage m- my going elsewhere and then coming back. But I w- I'll tell you, it's funny that you say that thing about recharging your battery. I so admire what you and Dan are doing right now in terms of having, like in this time when we can't produce work for audiences um, the way that we normally do. Yeah. Um, there's just been this explosion of people doing stuff online and digitally. And, and I think it's awesome. I'm like so humbled by it. I will also say that I'm like, I am going to take a deep breath right now, mm-hmm. which is not to say that next week I won't be chomping at the bit to put up a monologue on, on Facebook live or something like that. But it, it is, it is theater is a lot of work. I am not somebody you said it well. I, I can't, I don't know how to phone it in. It's just not in my nature. So I wish this thing wasn't happening more than anything else, but in that it is, I'm like also like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe I, maybe I don't have to produce content this this very minute in which we're being forced to take a deep breath. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah. 
I want to I want to jump in there and say shout outs to Bradley Abeda as well because I mean this whole response team was his it's his baby and the fact that he's allowed me and Dan to be a part of it and kind of let it become what it's becoming in this weird time is really awesome so shout outs to Bradley Abeda thankful for him he yes. will be our guest later this weekend on the podcast with Dan that's so cool we'll segue there i mean it's easy because me and brad are like separated by like 10 feet at all times we're not doing a great job at social distancing but we live with each other so it's okay it's not weird unless you make it weird <laughs> i will definitely not make it weird i think the whole thing about i think the whole thing about like if you're quarantined i mean if you're if you're staying at home with somebody i mean my daughter like lays like in my lap at nighttime while we're watching television i i think i think you're just like you're kind of fucked if yeah. that person is sick right totally, totally. but so I mean, you might as well have some sort of like normal human interaction and i'm and i'm always in bradley's lap but that's for other reasons mm -hmm. anyway mm -hmm. no what judgment type of, what type of show does amanda berg wilson watch at the end of the day oh gosh do you know um i um and i don't know if you're a sitcom person um, so, uh, we, so I have a daughter who is 12 and husband, that's my little family unit. And we years ago discovered modern family and it's like the show that the three of us can watch. And it's so formulaic, but also so funny. Mm -hmm. And I think the acting is actually quite kind of brilliant. Um, but it's, it's so mindless. And as you know, I, the work that I choose to do is pretty uh, different. Um, so I I love Modern Family because it's just like as kind of straightforward and wholesome and funny as it possibly can be. Um, I am a huge fan of Seth Meyers. Oh and yeah, his closer look is like for me like a perfect. I get I get like actually a little irrationally angry when there's like not a new one. I'm like. <laughs> What are you doing, Seth Meyers? <laughs> like when you think you can take vacations? Don't you know I'm dependent yeah. on you summing up the day? Um, so yeah, so Seth Meyers talked about the birth of those babies on the show. Like he takes Oh yes. When he does miss a thing, I'm like, what the fuck? Just shoot it from your living room. I don't care. I know. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, and now we know he can, right? Yeah. I actually think, have you seen it since he's, since he's been in quarantine? Yeah. I think he's killing it. I think so, too. It's weird because you don't hear the laugh afterwards. Yes. His jokes are smarter now. I think so, too. Because he's not, he's not, there's no crutch there. Yeah. They've got to just, like, be able to hang in the air on their own damn merits, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your directing style. Mm. And I have made I have made the joke because I think it's funny about couch plays in reference to <laughs> what the cats do and don't do. How would you say your I guess your vision for what you do? How did that come about? What shifted and what shaped that? Because mm. I mean, I'm. I when I, for the longest time, just so I give perspective to this question, I thought there was just theater. Whatever the script was, you just did that. 
Okay. Bam. And as I've gotten older and gotten more experience and seen other people do things, yada, 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 I see that it is not just what is in the script. Obviously. That's a noob coming at the world. Mm -hmm. And I thought I had seen a lot of things, if not almost everything. And then I got the opportunity to be in You on the Moors now, and it's different with the cats. It's different at other places, but I signed on with the cats because it's always fresh. What, what, what did that for you? What created that? Um, Chicago. Mm. I, I, uh, I mean, I always think that my tastes, just like my personal tastes have been a little left of center. Like, I, I this is a very sacrilegious thing to say, but like, I have never, not once, not as a teenager, not as a, you know, as an undergraduate theater major, uh, been a Shakespeare fan. Oh. I, I know it's very sacrilegious to say, but I, I, I don't dislike Shakespeare. I just don't, it doesn't like get the blood pumping for me. You know, I'm just like, it's lovely. The language is beautiful. There's some excellent storytelling, but I just, it doesn't, you know, I, I think there are people who sort of like their whole reason for being a theater artist is because of Shakespeare. And I've, I've never been that person. Uh, Sam Shepard was the first playwright where I was, I, I was sort of like, Hmm. This is hmm. There's a rock band on the roof above the set, or like you know, there's a. I'm like my, my Sam Shepard knowledge right now is like there's a very there's, distant. There's a there's a car that's on fire in the distance. Yes, it's yes, you know. Screen door. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I was like... Carrying uh, carrots out in the field. Yes, yes, yes. And then I was like, oh, uh, okay, that is real exciting to me. Um, and then I uh, I did a, the internship in Memphis after graduation, and then I was here in Colorado for a couple of years, and then I moved to Chicago um, because my, my best childhood friend was living there. And... I, like in the first month I was living there, I went and saw a piece by Red Moon Theater Company. Um, if you've never heard of them, you have to go look them up. They, they are sadly no longer, they are now defunct. But um, they're a spectacle theater company. Um, and I went and saw their Halloween pageant. It took place in the square, in this sort of centralized um, spot in this, um, kind of funky neighborhood called Logan Square. And there were people on stilts and, and people like climbing up a sculpture and like breathing fire. And I was, I mean, I had never seen, I had like never seen anything like that before. And I was like, oh, this is theater. And then I went and saw the Neo Futurists who are this company that, uh, um, they do, uh, they don't do, it's not called this anymore, but the, their sort of original claim to fame was this piece called Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind. And it was uh, 30 plays in 60 minutes. And the audience comes and there's numbers hanging on a string above the audience. 
and the audience calls out a number and they rip down that number and they do that play. And then the audience calls, so it's never the same order. And all of the pieces are written about the, the performers' lives. They don't play characters, they play themselves. And then I saw improv, and then I saw Looking Glass Theater Company, which does, and, and like all of a sudden, in the same way that you had that same revelation, I was like, oh, theater is not Neil Simon or a musical or Shakespeare. You know, it's not like people standing on stage talking to each other. It's not proscenium and, and the audience withdrawn from it. Yes. Or it, or, yeah. It, it's, it, well, and it's on a couple levels, right? It's like, it's both, it can both be non-proscenium, meaning it can break the fourth wall or it, it can be in a, the square of a neighborhood or on the side of a canal in a public park or in a bar, you know, mm-hmm. um, it can be people writing stories about their lives that only take two minutes. It can be, um, but then, you know, beyond that, like it, it can be non-realism, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can be, I mean, and this is, you know, goes back to, to, to Beckett, but you know, it can be somebody in a trash heap yeah. who's so, so this is this very sort of like, you know, just like throwing all of the things out there. I just have my mind blown in Chicago because I continue to think it's the best theater town in the world. And it's basically because what theater is, is this wide open field Mm -hmm. and people are playing in it and they are making theater what they want it to be. Mm -hmm. So when I moved back to Colorado, I just, so, so when I was in Chicago as making devised work, you know, we didn't call it devised at the time. We just sort of, we didn't know that that's what we were doing, but we were devising work. Yeah. And some of the work that we did was awesome. And some of the work that we did was shit. Mm-hmm. And um, as, as unfortunately devised work, I think is like, that's, that's, it's, it's sort of 50, 50, you know, or like maybe even not that it's like improv. You're like, man, when it's really good, it's really good. And otherwise it's, sort of painful um but and so I was already kind of working in this very um interdisciplinary kind of borrowing from other art forms Mm -hmm. so when I moved back here you know there's you know there's Curious there's Denver Center there's Betsy um but Lee and there was Lita there was the work that Brian was doing at Lita but it was super experimental right And I just didn't see anybody making the kind of work that I had fallen in love with in Chicago. So I really, the impetus to start the Catamounts was like, I want to do this kind of, it's not so experimental that, that I like experimental work. I'm really grateful for it. I think that what the Catamounts does, that the Catamounts do is more, a little more accessible than most experimental work, but it's also, it's not realism. There's no sofa. There's no sofa on stage. You know, there's, there's, there's that. I mean, that's really like on some level, like an important thing, you know, what am I going to place in a living room? Where am I? Amanda. Like I need to go from the couch. 
Well, you can, you can crawl out of a couch and that would be a catamount's play. But if you're like sitting on a couch the way that a couch is intended to be sat upon, I think we don't do that play. I think we, we take a hard pass on that play. Let's find a play where a couch gives birth to man and I yes. will be there. You'll be the man get, being birthed out of the couch. Sloth out of the, sloth was the word anyway. Just fall out to the yeah. and just like so. Tuesday happened. And here, <laughs> I, I think uh, well, the last time me and you spoke, we had a, a, a cats meeting, and I, I, I am, I am often want to give a great cheers and mm. give a great message, and I, I'm very. Um, romantic sappy some people mm. call it sappy in that way and i and and i liken it what i see you and your team your family create is like it's not it's not performance it's life mm. it can be these things because mm. one thing i've learned is it through all of my gillstrap travels is that what i thought something was not that it's not just that mm. just as the qualifier it is not just that um, when you were talking about beckett and it could be like a guy in a trash heap it can be a pair of lips with a light on it and you focus on that because totally. often have we even if it's not sexualized objectified something or somebody mm. And that created a, 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 an idea that stuck itself in our brains because we decided that's all we're going to do is we're just going to look at the lips. We're just going to look at the tits and so on and so forth. As you're a man, you get in those Women do it too. Everyone does it. What I'm saying is, I'm, I'm, I'm derailing myself to like try and make a... a, a no, 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 no. I think what you're saying is like, I, it's like super kind of cool and it's kind of actually twisting my head around a, a little bit about but why i think that what the catamounts bring to like the larger colorado theater going community is unique and important which is that you know i think part of why i like non-realism or i like um theater that experiments with form experiments with the relationship with the audience, experiments with the relationship with space, is that I find that those are the things that make my head come at something from a different angle, um, that flexes the muscles in my imagination. So, you know, like when you do a new exercise and you're like, oh, I have muscles there. I didn't no, I had muscles there because I've never used those muscles before. And and that's sort like of what I what? Like any of my workouts. No, no, I see but don't be so self-effacing. <laughs> um no, but you know, in the same way, like I I hope that part of what our work does is make folks flex different muscles than they normally do when they watch something that has like a more linear narrative or has more, um, a, a more sort of direct correlation to, to reality, i.e. I. realism. Mm -hmm. But 
what you're saying, this idea about objectifying things and about, you know, like if we look at a, if I just look at a woman's boobs, right? I, I forget that she's a whole person and that she has a brain and that she has, and, and in the same way, I think that if we're, if we're constantly looking at theater that is essentially just a direct reflection of what life is, it, 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 it has the liability to just confirm those opinions that we already have or confirm those experiences that we already have. And not always. I think some realism is really smart and really sharp and, and, and presses our buttons in the right way. Yeah. I also think a lot of realism just has a tendency to just like essentially become an essay on stage in which we already know what the two sides of the argument are. Yeah. But if we see something that's strange or different, then, then perhaps like we can look at life a little bit more broadly, a little bit more seeing the kind of outside the lines of, of these sort of really distinctly drawn, you know, we're just in such a time of polarization and, and tribalism and I'm on this side, you're on this side. Now, now this is attributing a whole lot of heavy lifting to the kind of theater that we do. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sound too pretentious about this, but, but I do think that there is something about the work that we do that I am hopeful. The intention of it is just to, to give our audiences brains a, a different, a different experience that makes them flex different muscles and look at things in a different way. See, see the whole a little differently. Definitely. No, I think I think that's a great point. I think, for me, I think when theater is at its best, it is not just one thing for the audience to ingest. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of things, and it can mm -hmm. it can be realism, and it can be absurdist, and it can be CD CD and E, and so on and so forth. But like, I love that. There's, there's just there's just more to, if there's more to life there's got to be more than the piece of art that you're staring at and taking mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. and that, that that makes that makes total sense and when we're at that place i think when we acknowledge that and can can experience yeah. that together or individually i think we're gonna grow yeah um, yes as ben is loading up the dishwasher oh gosh can you hear him he oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is. He is. Yeah. Thank you. Ben, ben. Ben's awesome. I love Ben. Um, ben is ben, awesome. It brings us to a new, a new part of the Ghost Light segment. I yes. uh, listened to some rap, rapid fire questions today, and I wanted to ask them of you. Um, so you don't have to go into detail if you don't want to. If you want to, like, um, pass something for me to answer instead of you. That's fine. If you want to answer it and also hear my opinion, that's cool too. But this is all for you, Amanda. Oh my gosh, this is exciting and also a little nerve wracking. Yeah, definitely. Because I've never done this before, so we'll try it out. Um, where do you get your news from? New York Times. New York Times. What movie do you think deserves a sequel? Uh... <laughs> Joe versus the volcano. Joe, ooh, ooh, deep, deep dive of the Tom Hanks. <laughs> All right, that 
Uh, what is your phone wallpaper or backdrop? Uh, it's a picture of my daughter in Mexico. Oh. <laughs> Which living musician would you pay the most money to see live? Lou Reed. Oh, but he's, is, does he have to be alive? Lou Reed is not alive. Right now we're, we're doing live. live. Oh, live, 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 live. Uh, huh, 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 huh. Oh gosh, they're all dead. Um, uh, Sam, you answer while I think. Oh, uh, but see, I would pay top dollar to see John Legend at Red Rock. Oh, really? That's my, that's my guy. Um, uh, yes, Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks. Yes. Well done. Um, who? Which musician do you wish you could see now that's passed away? Lou Reed. Lou. Yeah. Actually, actually, to be totally honest, the Velvet Underground. Although I think they were probably pretty shitty live, but because <laughs> if you ever listen to like some of their recordings, you're like, ooh, it's, great songs, it's, it's bad execution. <laughs> about the experience, not necessarily the music. Yes, but uh, without a doubt, the Velvet Underground. And if I could go see them at Max's. Kansas City in like the early 70s that would be I would pay all of the money in the world for that nice um what stupid fact do you still have memorized from school um <laughs> none I don't know what do you have memorized you probably come up with it all the time because you because te you teach oh yeah no because I teach yeah um no I think the thing that I have memorized from when I was a kid is just photosynthesis and how that all works. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. Don't ask me to do it now. I've, I'm in a full glass of Centuri into this. <laughs> I will not ask you. As long as you don't make me have to think of it. Because I cannot. Move on. Yeah, you passed yeah. it. You're good. Pass. What conspiracy theory do you kind of believe the most? Um, I kind of believe um, that there are certain uh, crises, and not this one, but that are sometimes manufactured for certain political leaders to distract from the more pressing issues. To, to, to essentially, um, to <laughs> that, that is like, that is feeling very attractive because he has he has sown the seeds of these conspiracy theories but i do i do think that um that that there is political dramas that are manufactured so that we are distracted from the real issues of oppression that the oligarchy inflicts upon us <laughs> nice nice good yeah, job yeah. well played sir <laughs> who was your first celebrity crush amanda um, John Snyder in Dukes of Hazzard. <laughs> <laughs> he was the blonde one. He was really cute. No arguments here. He's on my poster board. Yeah, I bet. I bet he is. You and Bradley's. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite word? Um, lovely. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Amanda. When we get to this point of the podcast on the traditional day, uh -huh. I'm going to keep these questions for, for our next guest because, I mean, they're kind of fun. They're super <laughs> fun. I love that. They're great. Nice. Um, big ups. Thank you. When we get to this point of the podcast, we always ask, what 
is that ghost light you wish was left that was left on for you when you started your career? Um, mm. To simplify it for others at home, what is that piece of advice you wish you had when you started that you would love to hand out to the next people coming up? Or to Eloise, 13, she's acting now. What's something mm. you want her to know? Mm. Um, I would say that I wish someone had told me um, and that uh, I would tell someone else um, is to uh, seek out, to do your research and find folks whose careers you admire and like send them an email, write them a letter. You know, I think I thought that I had to sort of invent my own path um, and that there were, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of corollaries. Like a lot, I saw like kind of more traditional journeys through becoming a theater artist that I didn't feel like were me, but actually there's a lot of folks out there who have had kind of the self-producing a little bit more of a, your own kind of voice path into their careers. Like I was in Chicago when Tina Landau was working in Chicago. Like, why did I not? Have, I knew people who were in her plays. I, and I was like, Oh, she's how, how I want to, kind of what I want to be. Mm-hmm. But like, I know that if I had sent her an email, she probably would have been like, yeah, let's like take me out to coffee. Maybe not, maybe not. Um, but I sure wish I had tried, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that, and I think especially as a woman, um, it, that's shifting now. I feel super pumped for the upcoming kind of group of arts leaders who are a little bit younger than me. Um, It did not feel as accessible when I was, you know, starting out. It felt like it was mostly men. But I should have, I should have asked them too. I mean, you know, I just think they're seek out mentors because you, there are there are folks who have made mistakes and and done it the right way and done it the wrong way and both ways are like listen to like like take take the wisdom of your elders you know or the folks who have gone in front of you so that's really the ghost light I'd leave on I'd be like there are that you know that whole tradition of the ghost light is like it's for the next person who comes along and if you're that person coming along know that there are people who are would be stoked to to offer their you know their experience to you and you're still gonna have to make your own mistakes right I mean they're they're not gonna like you know they're not they're not gonna suddenly have chopped down all the brush so that it's smooth sailing but at least you know they can say you know actually you should go work for this theater or actually you should read this book or actually I want you to come assistant director with me or come you know, be a part of this. There's just, there are those opportunities out there and you should seek them out. 
And that's and I think too to to kind of go along those same lines, like to to ask somebody who's done it that you admire and respect, they might at the very least tell you to trust your gut. And that will be enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally, because, totally. And when you hear that from people you admire, like I had that experience doing waiting for Godot. And I've had that experience in a in a read for local lab four weeks ago. Mm. Like that, those are the like. I mean, you need those types of things every once in a while. And like I, we we had talked about, like the people who could just kind of dive in and go. And and I love those people. Mm-hmm. I wish I could, I could just you know do all the work necessary to be that comfortable. But every once in a while, when you when you're not anticipating like that pat on the back, like that 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 can carry you a long way. So totally. sometimes you just gotta seek it out. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, Amanda, thank you so much for sitting. Oh down. gosh, Sam, it was such an honor, and I just um, I just want to just say like you're just an awesome human. I'm super excited that you're part of the Catamounts family now, and um, and thanks to all your listeners for listening to all my cookie ramblings, my my Japanese whiskey infused ramblings. Oh yeah, so I mean they're they're listening to all of our ramblings, right? Um, this th- I, this evening's podcast is brought to you by Japanese, Japanese whiskey. <laughs> for a good time or whiskey time. Yes, exactly. Um, Amanda, I will echo similar sentiments. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to sit down and talk with you in this capacity. Um, that, that came, I think, because me and you work together in mutual respect and admiration mm-hmm. in certain areas. And I am so thankful to be a part of the cats, especially during this time and to have our meetings and to, it's, it is, it's tough for a lot of us, you know, and I do and, and I usually in this new way of doing my podcast, I do a sign off where I like, I remind you to wash your hands and, you know, stay six feet, 10 feet apart from each other. You know, non-essential travel. Let old people go to the grocery store before you. Um, I think we're enough into the panic buying where you've got enough TP. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't need to be buying at all now. Nope. Um, but uh, real talk, every day, try and reach out to somebody you haven't talked to in a long time. Find the things that keep you happy, that keep you moving one foot in front of the other, even if you're staying in your house. If you get a chance to take a walk, do so. If you're going to go work out now, go do it. If you're going to read that book, watch that movie, play that game, watch that TV series, binge Tiger King, whatever it is that's going to float your boat right now, do it and embrace it. Because Yeah. And be gentle with yourself too. I mean, I think like, you know, especially theater artists, I think that there's a real kind of push to like, do create content, but now put it online and, and keep things going and stay relevant. And, and I also think it's okay to just go, whoa, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not totally sure how on March 7th, we closed Shockheaded Peter. And on April 1st, I haven't left my house except for to go on a hike for three weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. I think there's, it's okay to also like just sort of 
be a little shell-shocked and to, and not to stay there, but I think we also as artists need to be gentle with ourselves. You know, I, I so appreciate people are like, well, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the Black Plague. And I'm like, that right. I'm pumped for Shakespeare. Good yeah. for him. <laughs> like, I feel no compulsion at this at this at this point in the quarantine to to go write king lear i think i think one of the things that we should know is that no matter what ends up happening it will pass mm-hmm. it might be as catastrophic as a lot of the scientists predict mm-hmm. and it might not mm-hmm. but it might be bad don't wallow in it don't let it weigh you down every second of the day do your best to not let those things happen. Yeah. Your instrument tight. Keep your relationships that mean the most to you tight. Keep that close to you. Work on the other ones that you think you've, 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 you've been dropping the ball at and vice versa. But stay as positive as you can. And mm-hmm. that's how we get through this. Stay kind. Keep listening to the Ghost Lights podcast. Oh my God, listen to the guys like podcast. That is a huge thing that you should be doing. Absolutely. And when we open up the theaters again, get your season tickets to the Catamounts, folks. Oh, yes. Buy those tickets, snatch them up ASAP because we're going to be doing crazy things. And Dan Rib, you know what I want to hear right now. It's War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Let's <laughs> 